First Timothy chapter 2, as I told you, um, and have been telling you as we began to work our way through the book of First Timothy, that this would be a particularly important uh, book for us as a young church, um, and that chapter 2 uh, and chapter 3 uh, when you're preaching expositionally, uh, are passages, there are passages present there that you would really like to skip. Uh, and last week was one of those uh, pertaining to ladies. Um, and uh, we handled that, I think, uh, according to the scriptures. And that's my job here today is to read the word of God uh, and do my best um, the power of the Lord to explain the word of God and apply it to our lives. And then um, your job and my job is to hear the word of the Lord, to obey the word of the Lord, uh, and that we may have our lives changed by it. And um, it gets more difficult now. Uh, if you thought last week regarding uh, modesty for ladies was difficult for you ladies, uh, this week will not be any easier. Um, but nevertheless... We're going to work our way through the text, and as I promised you last week, ladies, uh, a good bit of uh, chapter 3 is, for, uh, is about men, so uh, we'll work on that in, uh, very soon. But let's pick it up, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. It says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but that which is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness of self-control. Amen, let's go home. <laughs> we don't get to do that. Oh, so here we go. You ready, ladies? Um, after last week's sermon, we tried to uh, teach us through the Word of God that uh, women uh, are to draw attention uh, not to their bodies or to their clothing or to their wealth, but rather for women who profess godliness, they should be full of good works. Not to get saved or to have salvation, but good works is the fruit of salvation and that Women such as Esther, and we looked at Esther, and I'm glad we preached through the book of Esther this past summer, reminding us of what godly women are like and the courage that it takes to be a godly woman. And then we looked at Dorcas, which I said, as I will say again today, probably not in the top ten names you name your daughter today, uh, but she was also known as named Tabitha. And we looked at her and the fact that she was, um, that's okay, we have some interesting things happening. Um, I thought there might be a lady working the soundboard back there. <laughs> There's not. <laughs> but uh, Dorcas, and Ta or also known as Tabitha, that she was known for her good works. And so that was also something that we were dealing with. And so 
uh, as we looked at that and we reminded ourselves of what does it mean to be a godly woman and how does that look, that we need as a church godly women and that we often hear that we need godly men and we do. And I said last week that we need men. The church is in need of godly men. But we are also in need of godly women. Women like Esther who would say to the people, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And I said we need those kind of women again in the church. And then it would seem counterproductive almost to now preach a sermon on something they are not allowed to do. Uh, But that is where we are going. This text to me is not controversial. But it is a controversial text. Because our culture does not like these types of teachings. Never has historically. Uh, We do not like the Bible telling us what to do with our lives. I was discipling a young man several years ago in the first church I pastored, and he came uh, to my office one day, and he said, I'm not really liking uh, the Bible much. I said, why? And he said, because it keeps telling me all the things I need to stop doing because I'm now a believer, and I like doing those things. And we all have similarities. But the Word of God teaches us truth. And our culture, and our people, and we as individuals, we don't like that much. And here it's no different. This idea that women are to learn quietly and are not permitted to teach or to exercise authority over men. Now, we read in Genesis chapter 3 earlier what verse 16 said. So Genesis chapter 3 verse 16 reminding us of what we read in our elder reading it says to the woman God speaking to the woman I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing in pain you shall bring forth children and your desire shall be contrary to your husband's but he shall rule over you in the NET translation New English translation says it this way I will greatly increase your labor pains with pain you will give birth to children and you will want to control your husband but he will dominate you And since that time, there have been issues among the genders. Amen? There have been. And you can see that extensively today. Um, I am only 44 years old, or, oh my gosh, I'm 44 years old, depending on how you want to look at that. But we can clearly see the battle that is taking place between genders. And I said it last week, and I'll say it again this week. Men are different than women. We are. We should celebrate the way God has made us, and we should quit trying to be the same. We're not even speaking to sexuality. I'm just talking about in the roles that we have as women and as men. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, we see the beginning of this. We said that we would cover this this week, and so here we go. Men, it says, I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. It's interesting here uh, that this is not the Greek word for man or woman. This is the Greek word for men. That even here in this 
church in Ephesus, Paul is instructing Timothy, reminding Timothy that in every place the men should pray. This doesn't mean that women can't pray or that women can't pray out loud. It simply is beginning um, what we're going to see in chapter 3, and that is that men should be leading these things. Now remember, this is a letter to Timothy, and so the chapters don't do us good in that regard. Uh, we would read this as a letter, uh, but we seem to have to separate it, and I understand why, but if you could read it like a letter, you could see the seamless transition that Paul is making to Timothy. He is beginning to move Timothy to understand the role of genders within the church. Now, if you remember in our opening part of Timothy, when we did the history, uh, that the temple of Artemis was there, and um, the priests of that temple were women. And so uh, they were already in leadership roles there, and it is very likely, most commentators would argue, uh, that some of these women, uh, or at least worshipers in that temple, had come to know Christ and have clearly were trying to transfer some of that authority that they had in the temple into the new church. And so Paul, knowing there were issues in Ephesus, writes this letter to Timothy to check on him and to uh, issue some commands regarding these Problems, And so he says here, men should be the ones praying. They should be leading. And then he goes in the first Timothy chapter, or first, the very next verse, and says that women are not to be teachers or to exercise authority over a man. Now, to me, the text is very clear. It's clear to me. I was with some men at a pastor's conference recently, or I say recently, several years ago, when uh, a very popular female evangelist had finally come out and made the comment that I'm going to preach to men and I'm going to let God sort it out. The problem is God sorted it out right here in First Timothy chapter 2. No amens. Uh, yes. Tough crowd. <laughs> but it seems very clear to me. And like often when we don't like passages of Scripture and the way it teaches we try to find ways around that. And you will find a numerous amount of commentators who will try to explain this passage away. One particular commentator, of which some people recommend highly, and he is uh, fairly good at some things, but he was terrible with 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, he basically made the argument that this passage is only speaking to cultures. Uh, it was speaking to the culture at that time in Ephesus, and so therefore the command for women to not be preachers and elders, as we're going to find out in First Timothy chapter 3, is only reference to that culture. And he completely leaves off Paul's reason behind why he says this. But I intend not to do that. I'm going to give you the reason. Paul clearly lays it out. It's as clear to me as can be. And he points the reason that this is the case all the way back to Genesis, which is why your sheet, if you have a bulletin or if you have a sermon guide, it's called the Genesis effect. And here's what Paul says. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And that doesn't mean women can't speak. That simply is speaking to the idea of them teaching. <clears throat> it does not mean that when you come to church, you're not allowed to talk. It's in reference to the ability to teach. And he says that, which would have been a strong command. And then in verse 13, he gives the reason. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. 
And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And yes, man sinned too. I hear you already, ladies. Well, man sinned too. But according to the text and according to the scriptures, woman was deceived first and became a transgressor. And Adam was made first and then Eve. And ladies, if you will help me understand this a little bit. Um, Men had nothing to do with being made first. Amen? That was God's decision. And so Paul does not point to anything cultural here. He doesn't say anything because of the issues you're having in Ephesus alone. Therefore, don't have any women being teachers. But he doesn't say that. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man Rather, she is to remain quiet with regards to teaching. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the man was deceived and became a transgressor. Now listen, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to find out that elders are men, pastors are men. It's going to be clear also in 1 Timothy chapter 3 of that. And you would think, as some people say, that Paul is simply saying that women shouldn't hold the role of an elder. But he doesn't say that. In 1 Timothy 2.12, he could have easily have said, I don't allow a woman to be an elder. Paul doesn't say that. He says, I don't allow a woman to teach or hold authority over a man. These are functions according to the word of God. According to... To the word of God. I'm going to say it one more time. According to the word of God. These roles are designated for men alone. Now listen, you would say, well, I just don't like that. I don't like, the way that, I don't like that at all. I think, uh, I mean... Women are smart too. Let me help you out with something. Men don't get these roles because they're smarter than women. <laughs> Ladies, amen? You all know that. We don't get nowhere in the Bible does it say men get these roles because they're more intelligent. Uh, they're, they're, you know, just more mature. We know that not to be the case either. Uh, they're less likely to do stupid things. We all know that not to be true. It is the way God designed it. And I had nothing to do with that. Sovereign Life Fellowship had nothing to do with that. Ladies and men in this room, we had nothing to do with it. This is the way God designed it from the beginning. So if you have issues and you're a believer, one day you will get to take that case up with God. Let me help you out, though. You will lose. You will lose. God's Word says it. So people would say, well... I still think it's cultural. I don't think Jesus would have done it that way. Well, let's talk about that for just a moment. If anybody went against the grain of culture, it was Jesus. Jesus constantly went against the grain of culture. If you were with us last year or a year and a half ago, we spent 16 months preaching through the gospel of Mark. And I said, when you get to the end of Mark and they crucify Jesus and you walk with me for 16 months through it, you will know why they crucified him. Because he went against the grain of culture. And women that were loyal to Christ, they were continually faithful to him. It was the women and John, but no one else. The women and John were the only ones 
present at the crucifixion. And only women went to the tomb. You remember where the disciples were? Hiding. Can we just be honest? They're hiding. The women go to the tomb. And yet, despite their love and their care and the loyalty to Christ, he never selected a woman to be an apostle. I mean, if Jesus wanted to set the record straight, he could have picked 11 guys and a woman. But he didn't. He chose no female apostles. There are no females who author a book of the Bible. That's not because you can't write well. It's not because there weren't eyewitnesses to the events. God didn't do it that way. And in the New Testament church, not a single female was appointed as a pastor. We know there were faithful women. Not appointed as a pastor. Instead, he gave all of these roles instead to the men. Men like Peter, a failure of epic proportions. Amen? I mean, men are not earning these roles by their merit. I mean, it's, it's Peter who denies Christ to his face. But Jesus restores him. And it is that Peter who preaches the first sermon in the New Testament church. A picture of the grace of our Lord. But there are no women. Despite the failures of the men, despite their timidness in several cases, despite their lack of courage, when they arrest Jesus, the men flee. It's not because of any of these things. It's because of what Paul said. God made Adam first. And it was Eve who was deceived first. And there are those who would say, well, fine. Then I'm not going to say it's cultural. I'm just going to say it's only a command for Ephesus. It's just because of these women who are these priests in the temple. It has nothing to do with anything else. It's just for Ephesus. Well, we have a problem. There are many, many passages regarding this, but I'm just going to read one. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 through 35 says this. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, another church that struggled with several issues. He said this. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And in that same, and in that same sentence, he says this. As in all, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. All the churches. So this is not just Ephesus. Now, if you want to get into the technical term for this in the church, we would call this complementarianism versus egalitarianism. I pulled that off. Difficult word for a guy like me who usually messes up words. But complementarianism is the teaching that masculinity and femininity are ordained by God and that men and women are created to complement or complete each other. Complementarians believe that the gender roles found in the Bible are purposeful and meaningful distinctions that, when applied in the home and church, 
promote the spiritual health of both men and women. Embracing the divinely ordained roles of men and women fathers the ministry of God's people and allows men and women to reach their God-given potential. The opposing view is egalitarianism. Most egalitarianists, see I messed it up, would argue there are no gender distinctions anymore. They're not speaking to sexuality. They're speaking to roles within the church and the roles within a home. And their argument comes from Galatians 3.28. You can write that down for further study. Um, That's basically saying we're all the same in Christ, but that is not what that passage is teaching. But they would say men and women's roles are interchangeable now in church leadership and in the household. Egalitarianism sees gender distinctions as a result of the fall and Christ's redemption as removing those distinctions. Here's the problem. God made Adam first. That's pre-fall. He made woman second. That's pre-fall. This is not a result of the fall. Paul clearly, Paul clearly, Scripture clearly, I can't say it enough. Paul clearly, Scripture clearly sides with complementarians. You cannot make a case for egalitarianism from the Bible. Can't. It's not there. This idea of to complement, dictionary definition simply says this. It is something that completes or makes perfect, either of two parts or things needed to complete the whole. Counterparts. Gender differences complement each other. They don't compete against each other. Now, for those of you who did not know me at 19, that's a handful of people, my parents, Keith and Debbie, they would say, my wife has been a good thing for me. (laughs) In more ways than you can possibly imagine. My wife compliments me. Not that way. She, She completes me. She takes the weaknesses I have and she is strength in those areas. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. My wife is not trying to be the man and I'm not trying to be the woman. I'm trying to be the man who leads our house and leads our home and leads her and leads our children. And my wife willingly submits to that because Scripture calls her to. And I have argued this forever. Ladies, if you were loved by a man... And I have many failures in this area, but I am continually trying to be more what Christ has called me to. But if we love our wives like Christ loves the church, and if you are loved by a husband as Christ loves the church, you will have no issue submitting to that. Because that will be wonderful. The heaviest commands in a marriage fall upon the man to love his wife as Christ loves church and gave himself up for it. What woman doesn't want to be married to that guy? Because we complement each other in our gender roles. Just to be sure, make sure I clarify this more than once. I have this in my notes in bold print. This view of scripture, however, does not make women beneath men. Does not make thank you. Carol's like, Amen, Matt. You better watch out, brother. 
does not make women beneath men or less than men or not as smart as men, nor does it allow for the abuse of women. Men, listen clearly. This entails sexual abuse, physical abuse. For too many men in the church today, verbal abuse. Man, you are to treat your women like Christ treats the church. That's a high call. Women are not slaves to their men. And men are not slave masters. It's not what complementarianism and egalitarianism about. It's not. Verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Don't move too quickly past this verse. Let a woman learn. You would think that's obvious, but it calls... The church in Ephesus, it calls all churches, it calls this church to teach women. Now that wouldn't be very controversial to us today, but it was very controversial in this culture. Because women were generally not allowed to learn. They were not allowed to learn. They were beneath the men, and it was the men who learned. And Paul makes sure that Timothy knows, hey, let the women learn. This is counter-cultural to this time. He's calling on the church to engage the women and to teach them. They are not second-class citizens. They are believers. And they should be taught. Nor does this passage render women incapable of any leadership or teaching within the church. Scripture specifically endorses women to teach children. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we saw that Timothy was taught. And it urges that older women train the younger women. Titus 2, 3 through 5. And we know in Acts 18 that Priscilla and her husband Aquila are both mentioned as those who instructed Apollos more accurately concerning the word of God and the gospel. Her husband was with her, but they both instructed him. This also doesn't address the workplace. The commands in the scripture regarding gender roles speak to leadership within the family and leadership within the church. Therefore, our work is different. You may indeed be a woman who has authority over men in a workplace. Not the scripture. It doesn't address that. But to have authority over a man, we're not talking about boys or youth. We're talking about men within the church. Or for a woman to have authority over a husband in the home goes against the scriptures. People say, well, why is it so controversial? We saw it in Genesis 3.16. Women, because of the curse, will battle this. You're going to battle that. It's what the curse says. You're going to battle your husband. You're not, I mean, I'm not saying that you should. I'm saying that's the battle, that's part of the problem. You're going to contend for your husband. You're going to be contrary to your husband. You're going to want to rule over your husband. That's the fall. That's the depravity of man. And scripture says, because of that, because of the fall, because Adam was made first, pre-fall and post-fall, woman was deceived first, they are not allowed to teach, or preach, or hold the 
office of an elder. Now to me it's clear. It's clear. I mean, I, I have had people converse with me and I'm like, can you just point me to your scriptures? Well, I just don't. I, 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 mean, I, just don't, I had one particular person I read that said, I just don't think God, I just don't think God would want it that way. Well, he wrote it that way. I mean, I don't know what to do with that. He wrote it. It's clear. It's not in pencil. Can't erase it. I mean, it's, it's almost a crayon. I mean, it's easy to understand. Paul says, you can't pastor. And you can't preach or teach in any way that holds authority over a man. I mean, it says that. It's not cultural. It's not pertaining to Ephesus alone. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3. It's what the Bible teaches. Now, what do we do with this interesting verse? 15. Well, I wish I knew. It says, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This is a difficult one to interpret. The church has struggled with this one for many centuries. Uh, it clearly cannot mean they become believers. They become, they get their salvation by childbearing. There's a couple of problems with that. One, what if you can't have children? Well, you're just, I mean, that wouldn't make sense. Number two, it gives a different path to the Father than through Christ. And that can't mean what it means. There are some who make the argument that yet she will be saved through childbearing is a reference to the woman's seed. That will be Jesus that will rescue all those who put their faith in him. But it's difficult for me, it's difficult for many other guys um, throughout the history to make the case about that from this text. It doesn't seem um, to flow well here. Instead, I land where uh, others have landed. And that after saying, here is a unique role for men... Men have a unique role to pastor and preach and to hold the office of elder and to teach at the church. That's a role held for men. Women, however, have a unique role, and that is they have children. No man is able to have children, at least not that I'm aware of. Can't have any children. and can't do that. That's a unique role for women. It's an opposite position from the fact that no woman should be an elder. Now, other possibilities exist about the verse, and it brings in some, I would say, a host of problems. And even that interpretation, the one I just gave you, has some issues with it. And so I would tell you, as Keith Wilkerson trained me when I was a young man, when you don't know, just say, I don't know. And I feel very safe because there's a lot of other godly men in history who basically, after reading it, they give their explanation at the end. They go, but we don't know. <laughs> I don't have a complete idea. But I know that it is a good thing to be a mom. And I don't know when it became a bad thing. When did it become a bad thing to be a mom? When did it become a bad thing to be a godly woman? When did that become something to be ashamed of? Or something to be looked down upon? I have no issue with any woman who wants to achieve a career. I have no issue with that. Go and do it unto the glory of the Lord. 
But whatever happened to just being a mom? Is that a bad thing? I don't think it is. I think it's a wonderful thing. We read Proverbs 31 last week in our elder reading. It's a beautiful thing. And those women, even Proverbs 31, people say, a woman should... Don't kill me, ladies. I'm not agreeing with this saying. But I heard the saying, women should be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. You ever heard that before? Yeah. Anybody ever had anything thrown at them when they said that before? <laughs> that is not what Proverbs 31 says. The woman of Proverbs 31 is a working woman. Have you read Proverbs 31? She's a working woman. So there's nothing wrong with working outside of the home. I just don't know why it becomes such a big deal and why we see in our culture women wanting to do everything that men do. I mean, listen, we may not be good at what we do, but do you really want us doing what y'all do? I mean, that would really be a disaster. God has created us differently to complement one another. But where is the gospel in all of this? True saving faith. If you're a believer, then the fruit of that true faith is demonstrated by obedience to the commands of Scripture. And so the gospel calls us to be obedient in all matters of life, including the matters of life in a church when it comes to the roles of leadership. Listen, ladies, you're not obeying the church. You're not obeying me. You're not obeying our elders. You're obeying holy, inspired words of God. That is who you are obeying. Without saving faith, we are powerless to live out our God-given gender roles in a way that honor God. Not possible. Now listen, this text, you could spend weeks on this. And I'd be happy if you have questions or thoughts, I'd be happy to meet with you anytime to discuss them. There's lots of places you could think on, but I just think the scripture is really clear to me. It's clear. But why does this matter for our young church? There's a lot host of things, but I'm beyond out of time. So let me just say it this way. A church that refuses to follow the clear commands of Scripture with regards to the ecclesiology of the church, the leadership of the church, has no authority to teach the role of leadership within a marriage. If we can't obey it within the church, then how can we call it to obey it in marriage? Because if it is subjective in the application to the church, then it is subjective to the application to your marriage. And I don't believe the Bible says it is. It is clear as can be. Therefore, we are here to exalt and glory in and teach the commands of God and to follow the commands of God, not to find ways around them to suit our own selfish interests. Additionally, in closing, I believe God honors the church that honors his word. We want to honor his word. Women, you are needed in the church. You are needed. We need godly women. And men, we need godly men. 
pastor and preach and teach in our churches. And as we get ready to teach for the next several weeks, we'll spend about six weeks on the elders alone in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It is a high calling. Doesn't mean I'm a great guy. It means that it's a high calling. And we need to take the matters very serious. So ladies, you may breathe out a little bit now. For the next six weeks or so, it's all about the men. And you, we can just beat up on them something fierce. Amen? We give you the gospel. Because without the gospel, this is all meaningless morality. But here's the gospel. That we were born in sin. We're born into sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. You sin naturally and you sin really well. And we were separated from God because of our sin. But God, because of his rich love for us, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. To give us a way back to the Father, to be redeemed, to be made right before God. We could never do that. We would never, ever, on our own, want anything ever to do with God. But God wanted us for whatever reason. He pursued us, and in Christ we could be made whole. For those who repent and believe so, that's the gospel. And it is only in walking in the beauty of the gospel can you see the beauty of gender roles within a church or within a marriage. So you'd say, well, how do I become a believer? I'll tell you what I say every week here. Say what the Bible says. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. And then when you choose to do that, the fruit of that, if it is real, will be a life that is forever changed. Not perfect, but forever altered by the grace of our Lord. Let me pray for us. Keith will lead us in a song. I'll come back and do a benediction and we'll be dismissed. As always, our elders stay around. Our staff is here. If you ever want to talk about salvation, if you have questions about salvation, we're always here to talk with you. Uh, feel free to always interrupt us. Uh, if you want to talk about that. doesn't matter who we're talking to. If you need to talk about salvation, just tap us on the shoulder and say, I have questions about salvation. And we will be quickly attentive to that, I promise. Let's pray. Lord God, we do love you. Thank you for the teaching of your word. God, I pray that I uh, honored your word this morning. God, I pray that no woman feels less after hearing this, God pray that no woman feels undervalued. God, I pray that no woman feels unwanted. God, instead, I pray that they would see they are cherished. And that, God, that you love them. God, I pray that the men in this room who are married will love their wives as Christ loves the church. I pray, God, that as leaders within this church, the men here will treat every woman in this church in purity and with love. And God, that this church would be known for how well we treat women. I pray. God, we love you. Thank you for your truth. Help us, God, to obey it. We are selfish creatures. And we want to do things our own way. 
So I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would move us to obedience. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.